Matthew 18 from verse 21. This is God's Word. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. Amen. We trust that God will bless to us this reading from His Word. Matthew 18. I think it was um, uh, Mark Twain who said, it's not the parts of the Bible that he didn't understand that trouble him. It was the parts that he did understand. And I think whenever we read uh, this passage in front of us today, we might well have some sympathy with him because this is is a challenging sort of word. We, we live in a, a tit-for-tat world. We were, live in a world that, that likes to see people getting what they deserve. We, we live in a world that makes movies, a, mo- a world that uh, makes movies that we watch about people getting revenge and payback. And we live in a world that doesn't easily understand or cope with forgiveness. And yet forgiveness is crucial to making the relationships that the world craves work. Now, that's what we're thinking about today. We're thinking about uh, forgiveness. We've not got a PowerPoint this morning. You remember this is in one of um, Jesus' big sections of teaching in Matthew's gospel. He focuses in this section, it contains all of chapter 18, uh, on relationships amongst his own people. We might say relationships within the church. And it's very realistic It talks about sin in the church. It talks about difficulties emerging between brothers. Last week with Stafford, you saw it sets out a way for mending relationships whenever they go wrong, as Jesus knows that they will. And it's assumed that there will be difficulties and problems, and therefore forgiveness will be required, and that's what we're thinking about. 
Now, I don't need to tell you how important this is. Forgiveness is vital in relationships, vital in marriages and in families and amongst friends and in churches, because the reality is we are sinners and we sin against God and against one another. And unless every relationship that we have is to be dropped at the first instance of this, then forgiveness is crucial. And yet, how hard we find it. Which of us doesn't struggle with this? And yet, Jesus makes it clear that forgiveness is not an option to be considered, but a command to be obeyed. And like any command, it's always therefore for our good. Now, clearly back then, whenever Jesus said these words, Peter understood that if relationships were to be mended as Jesus had outlined it uh, in uh, the earlier part of the chapter, then forgiveness was going to be really important. And he also recognized that Jesus called his followers, him included, to a higher standard than what was common within the world. Now, within the, the, the Jewish world at the time, the sort of the best thinking, the pinnacle of thinking was that you, you would forgive someone three times, and then after that, you'd sort of write them off. It was three yellow cards and then a red card. So, Peter comes along to Jesus, and you see what he says in verse 21. Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. Well, you can see what Peter was doing there. He was taking the sort of the thinking of the world, the best examples that there were around him. He was doubling it, adding one just to be safe, and then saying, what about that, Jesus? How good do you think that is? And the response that Jesus gives him would have absolutely shocked him. I tell you, Jesus says, not seven times, but 77 times, or, or 70 times seven, as some of the translations have it. And of course, Jesus is not setting this as a limit. He's not encouraging us to, to uh, put a little tick down every time that we do this. He's, he's saying, here's the standard. It is one of limitless forgiveness. Don't count. Just keep on forgiving people. And to drive that home and to tell us how to do it, actually, he, he gives us this parable. A few things we want to see from this parable this morning. Three simple things. First of all, we are people who have an incalculable debt, a debt that cannot be calculated. That's easier to say, isn't it? Uh, we are those who have a debt who cannot be, which cannot be calculated. Jesus in this story tells a, a story about a king who is coming to the time when he needs to sort out his books. Maybe it's about this time of the year, the end of the financial year, and he discovers one servant who owes him some money. Now, it's not just some money, actually. It's 10,000 talents. It is a, a vast sum. A talent was the, the highest unit of currency, and 10,000 was the, the highest uh, Greek uh, number, as it were, the highest unit of, of Greek uh, numeracy. So, so it's really a sum too vast to begin to imagine. It was, it was something like, you know, 200,000 years wages, billions and billions of pounds. So there is no way this man can pay this back. He faces a terrible penalty, a terrible punishment. He and his wife and his children and all that he has are to be sold to recoup some of the losses, though obviously they would only have recouped a fraction. And while the people who were listening would have wondered how on earth did someone get into such a terrible position of debt, they wouldn't have been surprised, particularly at the punishment, especially with, with that sort of a, a problem. 
by the standards of the time, it was entirely to be expected. Now, this is a story, of course, Jesus makes it absolutely clear about our situation before God, and He's making a powerful point, and that is that we have a debt before God that cannot be calculated. He made us, and we owe Him our obedience and our loyalty, and we have not given Him that. Rather, in an act of of cosmic treason, we have turned away from Him and made ourselves the center of the universe And that means that we are in this terrible situation before Him and facing the possibility of a, uh, not just a possibility, the the certainty without Him of a, a terrible and yet just punishment. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? Faced with this, what the servant does in response, I don't know if you noticed it, he says, verse 26, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay everything back. Now, remember, 200,000 years wages, it is an impossible task. And yet his reaction to say is to this, is to say, all I need is a little more time. Now, Jesus knows what we're like, doesn't he? What is the reaction of the human heart to the realization that we owe God? So often, it is, God, give me a little bit of space, and I will make it up to you. I'll earn my way out of this. Be patient with me, and I will pay back everything. That's what we're like. It might have been the reaction of some of us as as we uh, began that sense of our realization that, that we needed to get right with God. We thought, I will do this. I will turn over a new leaf, and I'll start to earn my way out of this. It's interesting, isn't it? We, we know that we've failed terribly in the past, and yet we trust our future self better than we have our past self. We, we're sort of optimistic about ourselves in the future. We, we know what got us into the situation, but we think that somehow in the future we'll be able to get ourselves out of it. We're completely unrealistic about our ability to do good and impress God. We just can't do it. Because as I think you sang last week in, in Rock of Ages, not the labors of my hands could fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite? No. Could my tears forever flow? Those things, uh, all for sin, could not atone. You see, we just can't do it. Now, maybe some of us have been on the Christian road a while, and sometimes what happens as we travel along that road a while is that we forget what a great debt we owe to God, and how helpless we are to repay it. Maybe some of us have grown up in in Christian homes. Praise God for that. But maybe part of the result of that is that we haven't quite got the sense that we ought to have of what a great debt we owe to God. We've got to allow Jesus to speak to us here and remind us that we are naturally in a position where our debt to God is unmanageable and beyond our repaying. That's the first thing. We have an incalculable debt. The second thing this story tells us is is that we are those who have been lavishly forgiven, lavishly forgiven. Because what does this king do? Verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. 
It is the most unexpected thing. This servant has treated the king terribly, and yet he receives mercy. And you'll notice that his mercy, the mercy that the king gives to him, is not based on this man's intention to pay back the debt. The king knew that he couldn't do that. The king absorbs the cost and gives out mercy. That's what happens with the gospel, isn't it? It's not just that God cancels our debts, that He turns a blind eye to our sin. He absorbs them. He he takes it upon Himself. He pays our debt, and He pays it through the very one who is telling this story, the Lord Jesus Christ, who took our sin to the cross. We really have been lavishly forgiven. Now, now when Jesus was telling this parable, He he was talking to His followers. He was talking to those who were already believers, but it it might well be that some of us here today are are, are not yet Christians, and and we're, we're really sort of finding our way as far as figuring out what the Christian message is. Well, if that's the case, we, we should listen really carefully to what Jesus says here. Because although this parable is, is being used to teach those who have already begun to follow Jesus something very important, it also says something very powerful to those who've not yet begun to follow Jesus. And that is that, that we are those who owe God an incredible debt, who who cannot pay it by ourselves, and yet the offer that God makes through Jesus Christ is that He will take it, that He has taken it on the cross. And really, that's the only way that we can ever hope to stand before God. We all will. It's the only way that we can ever hope to stand before God with any confidence. That's the the good news that we stand in as believers, and it is on offer. We're those who owe an incalculable debt, and we're those who have been lavishly forgiven. But, But Jesus was teaching this parable to teach His followers something, and that is this third thing, that therefore we must forgive. If we are followers of Jesus, we must be people who forgive. That's our third point. We're those who must forgive. Now, now what happens next is almost inconceivable. The, the, the forgiven servant walks out a free man. And you just imagine, he, he's thinking, I can't wait to get home to tell my wife and my children. And then on the way out, he, he sees a man who owes him money, a hundred denarii. Now, that was not an insignificant amount of money. It was approximately five months' labor for a manual laborer. So, I, I don't know, you do the sums. It's, you know, between five and 10,000 pounds, perhaps, something like that. But, of course, compared to what had been written off for him, it is nothing. He had been forgiven several thousand times more, several hundred thousand times more. And you notice that the, the debtor here asks for patience. And, and, and the ironic thing is that his is a debt that probably could have been paid back, and yet <clears throat> no patience comes, and this man has him thrown in prison. 
Well, everybody who hears about it is outraged. There's a natural sense of injustice, isn't there? They would have been heard. They would have heard how much the first guy had been forgiven, and they'd have heard of his actions. Everybody knows it's not right. And so word gets back to the king. We find that the king calls the servant in because nothing ultimately happens behind this king's back. He knows it all, and he wastes no time in giving the verdict. You wicked servant, he says, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his mercy turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And of course, we know how much he owes. There is no end to this sentence. And then Jesus makes a point. This is how, verse 35, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. You ever wish sometimes there were verses that weren't in the Bible? This might be one of them. You see, he says, we must be those who are forgivers. It's not an option to be considered, but a command to be followed. And why? Because as Jesus says here, God's children have been forgiven so much. If you're a Christian, an incalculable debt has been written off for you. I'm sure some of us wonder about the threat of Jesus' conclusion there in, in verse 35. You might say, well, look, as a Christian, I've trusted in Jesus. Is my, is my future not secure? Is, is, is this saying that in some ways it hangs in the balance? Well, what this is saying is that if God has really saved us and made us His children, there will be an inevitable change within our lives. And part of this will be seen in how we forgive. So, so for example, in the Lord's Prayer, we, we say, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Matthew, as he records the Lord's Prayer for us. We've read it some of these evenings. He says, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You see, this is assuming that the change that happens within our hearts when we come to Christ is so radical and transformative that it does turn us around and make us into forgiving people. If you have an ESV study Bible, you'll see that the notes say this, a transformed heart must result in a changed life that offers the same mercy and forgiveness as has been received by God. Someone who does not grant forgiveness to others shows that his own heart has not experienced God's forgiveness. Now, now, I think we can actually see hints of that in this parable, can't we? There's no indication of real gratitude on the part of the unforgiving servant. There's no love towards the king. His debt has been canceled, but he seems to be unchanged. And yet, you notice here that Jesus draws attention to the heart in verse 35. We need to forgive our brother from the heart. This just gets worse, doesn't it? So, it's not just from the teeth out. We need to have a change of heart towards them. Now, what does that mean? It means that we, we seek their blessing. 
It means that we don't replay their sin over and over in our heads and, and ruminate on it. It means that we don't talk to others about it. It means that we don't allow it to define and hinder our future relationship with them. Now, in many ways, this is, this is not natural. And that's part of Jesus' point. We need those transformed hearts that God gives to His people. And we need the ongoing help of the Spirit to do this. Don't think that we can do this in our own strength. I think that's what Peter thought. He thought, now, how far can I go in this? I need to impress Jesus. How far can I go in this? Well, if I double it, could I push it to another one? Yeah, I'll go for seven. Seven times, Jesus? But you see, he was, he was saying, I think I can find strength within myself to forgive seven times. And Jesus was saying, your own strength won't do it. Jesus takes him from a, a superhuman response to a supernatural response. You, you see, a superhuman effort will never achieve the sort of life that Jesus has in mind for those who follow him. Only he can help us live like this. And that's one of the reasons I think that we find forgiveness so hard, because we do not rely on the Spirit of God as we should. We don't come to God and say, I can't do this. You need to do this in me. I've been really blessed by reading Ken Sand's book, The Peacemaker. He, 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 he writes a little prayer that sometimes he says he has prayed when he finds forgiveness difficult. I'm just going to read it for you. God, he says, I cannot forgive him. He, he, speaking of someone who has done something against him. God, I cannot forgive him in my own strength. In fact, I do not want to forgive him, at least until he has suffered for what he did to me. He does not deserve to get off easy. Everything in my heart wants to hold it against him and keep a high wall between us so that he can never hurt me again. But your word warns me that unforgiveness will eat away at my soul and build a wall between you and me. More importantly, you've shown me that you've made the supreme sacrifice, giving up your own son in order to forgive me. Lord, please help me to want to forgive. Please change my heart and soften it so I no longer want to hold it against him. Change me so that I can forgive and love him the way you have forgiven and loved me. You see, that's not a superhuman response. That's asking for help for a supernatural response. Now, all being well after Easter, we will be looking in the evenings at that line on the Lord's Prayer that is a parallel to this, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sins against us. And we're going to think more about forgiveness and, and some of the questions that it brings. How does it relate to repentance? Are we only to forgive if the other person is sorry? What about forgetting? Does forgiving someone mean that we forget what they've done? What about the consequences? Does forgiving someone mean that they're free from the consequences of what we've, they've done, even legally? We're going to look at all those questions. They're really important questions. They take a little bit of time to tease through. But let's not this morning let the thought of all the what about this and what about that. Let's not allow those thoughts to rob this passage of its weight and its weight is that we are to be 
forgivers. Why? Because if we're Christians, God has forgiven us. And if we've really known God's presence in our lives, then this is what He has for us. You see, there are some people who talk about the benefits of forgiveness who are not Christians, and they point out that if we hold on to bitterness against another person, it's giving them control over us, it's doing ourselves damage. That's true. Unforgiveness, as somebody has said, is like us drinking poison and hoping the other person will suffer. It's crazy. And yet, there are all sorts of practical reasons. There are, of course, all sorts of practical reasons why forgiveness is a good thing, but that's not actually where Jesus takes us here. It's not the dominant place in the Scriptures. It, the Bible says to us, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. It says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So it takes us, you see, to the cross and says, this is what God has done. This is the debt that's been canceled for you. Now, you get busy and cancel some other debts. So practically, if you're finding it hard to forgive someone, especially a brother or a sister, as is the case in mind here, this makes clear what we should do. We ponder long and hard about what God has done for us in Christ. We think about how much we have been forgiven. Your offenses were against the King of Kings, the Lord of lords, so we're mine. Those offenses deserve an unending penalty, and yet God has absorbed that penalty in Christ. The Lord Jesus paid it. And if that's the case, it's outrageous for us to say, I won't forgive. Is that how you would want God to, to treat you? Would you want Him to treat you like you are treating your brother or your sister? What if God said to you some of the things that we sometimes hear? Okay, I, I'll forgive you this one last time. But after that, we're through. Or, or I'll forgive you, but, but the relationship's over. I'll never trust you again. Where would we be if, if God treated us like that? Or I'll forgive you, but I'm going to tell everybody what you're like so that they will know where would we be if God treated us like that? The Bible says Christ has canceled an incalculable debt on your behalf. He has taken it to Himself, a debt that you could never have paid in 200,000 years. Be busy about forgiving your brother. Let's pray together. Lord, some of these things are hard and searching, and we find Your Word pressing on sore areas of our lives. Forgive us, Lord, for our unforgiveness. 
For, forgive us for those times that we thought that we can withhold forgiveness from others while depending upon yours for us. Help us to see that through you, you call us to this supernatural response. And help us not just to think about it, but to do it. And we pray in Jesus' name.